Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning. This is your host of the Everything Co-op Show. My name is Vernon Oaks. And this morning we have John Hosclaw IV uh, on the program with us this morning. We are so pleased. Good morning, John. Good morning, Vernon. How are you today? I'm great. I'm glad you're on. I'm always It's always a pleasure to talk to you about co-ops and the status of the cooperative world. So, there's something new on your horizon. What What's happening with you? I am proud to say that I'm the founding president and CEO of a brand new community development loan fund, Rochdale uh, Capital. We were founded uh, and our strategic partner is uh, the National Cooperative Bank, of which you have a great deal of knowledge about. Uh, but Rochdale Capital is an organization who is dedicated to providing financial services to under-resourced communities and their promotion of community ownership and uh, cooperative principles. And so really excited about it. It um, started uh, last December. Um, we had our first uh, press release, I think back in February, and we're in the process now of just working to build the infrastructure of the organization, hiring staff, getting payroll and all that kind of stuff set up. And it's definitely been a, a humbling experience indeed um, uh, since uh, January 1. But um, Rochdale Capital is here. So how did you come up with the name Rochdale Capital? <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. And, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people first think about the Rochdale uh, Society of Equitable Pioneers who in 1844 uh, in the UK created the cooperative uh, principles. But it really was not the reason why I chose the name and why I will always pay homage to the Rochdale Society it really was around the span between 1845 and 1847, where the, the famous American abolitionist Frederick Douglass left the U.S. above the transatlantic um, boat to uh, Cambria and went to the U.K. Uh, and got an opportunity over the course of two years to give more than 300 speeches there. Uh, he left here uh, an enslaved individual, and after his time there and becoming really close with a member of parliament, parliament by the name of John Bright uh, was able to secure a majority of the money that he needed to buy his freedom. Uh, so he left here an enslaved individual, but he came back to America a free man. It's really the story that resonated with me uh, the most. And so it's kind of a, a twofer in regards to why I chose the name Rochdale as a, to pay homage to the society, but also to the impact that they had on the life of one of my favorite Americans of all time, uh, Frederick Douglass. So the Rochdale pioneers um, lived the values of cooperative. I like the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. I call it caring for one another, the golden rule. So in this case, they were caring for black enslaved people, which you didn't find throughout the world, but there were abolitionists <laughs> that were doing that 
and that's awesome, buddy. Uh, Rochdale Finance Capital is the name of it. Rochdale. Okay. It's actually Rochdale Capital. Rochdale Capital. We just we, we happen to do finance, but it's Rochdale Capital. Rochdale, Rochdale Capital is the name of it. So, yes. and, and you said underserved communities. Do you have any particular communities you're going to start look focusing on any place? Well, obviously, uh, we're DC Metro based, and so we're big believers. And, and, and I mean, listen, we're going to do this three ways, Bernie. Then I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the communities. Number one, um, like I said before, through the promotion of community ownership and cooperative principles. Number one. Then number two, we're going to do this under the auspice of. Equity, diversity, and inclusion. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we want to provide equitable access to capital for minority entrepreneurs, you know, i.e., women, minority women, entrepreneurs of color. And then number three, and last but not least, you know, we would be remiss if we did not leverage the relationship of our founding and strategic partner, the National Cooperative Bank, of which, you know, one of their uncommon mandates has always been since it was created was to work in under-resourced communities to provide a, you know, make best efforts at a certain percentage of their disbursements being those communities. And so those are the three ways we want to do it. But the communities that we're targeting are obviously in our own backyard, uh, in D.C. Uh, Metro, uh, be it District of Columbia, be it Prince George's, Montgomery, uh, Fairfax, you name it, um, counties, number one, number two. Uh, because of the history that the bank has in New York uh, as it relates to cooperatives and other community-based organizations there. Another part of our strategy, and this is very important, I think, our um, former CEO, Chuck Snyder, had said to me one time, he said, you know, I started my career in the South, um, but but really have wished that I had done more there. And so uh, what the bank uh, did a couple of years ago was start the development of a place-based strategy in the Southeast. Uh, and so one of our uh, targets at Rochdale Capital uh, or our targeted investment areas is going to be Atlanta uh, because to be the size that it is, um, there aren't any uh, major, uh, to my knowledge, any major community development loan funds um, in Atlanta. Um, I think you have community development banks and community development credit unions, but no loan funds. And there's a portion down there, which I call the cradle of the civil rights movement, which is the West End um, where Martin Luther King's home still is there. The children still own it. And Ambassador Young and so many others came out of that West End of Atlanta. But um, it, it needs a lot of uh, economic development and, and uh, investment. And so we, we hope to do some work there for sure. One of the highlights of my career was meeting Ambassador Young. I met him at a uh, Federation of Southern Co-ops annual meeting uh, six years or so ago. Brandon, it might have been the same time that I met him. And uh, I remember this line from the speech that he gave that night, and I'll never forget it. And he uh, said that uh, people ask me sometimes, Ambassador, uh, why did the civil rights movement? And, and he said uh, to them, uh, because black folks got air conditions. And uh, that was his uh, response. So I, I will never forget that line from Ambassador Young about black folks getting uh, air conditions into the civil rights movement. So. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping that we'll get some new blood pumped into to folks, even if they have air conditioners, to and to have more civil rights, civil rights for all folks. All right, so you've got D.C. Metro, New York City, and, and the South. Strategic partner is the National Cooperative Bank, and that was where you work for as you take on this new position. So what's been the bank's role, particularly Chuck Snyder, who – I consider an awesome friend. 
and was hurt tremendously personally and, and the co-op world hurt when he passed last November. Right. But what role did he have in starting this? You know, it's a great question. And one story that I always like to tell, you know, my main role at the bank uh, is EVP of strategic initiatives. It was around thought leadership as well as um, working to develop business with uh, community development financial institutions uh, or CDFIs or certified CDFIs. And so the eight years that I did that job or I've done it, spent a bulk of my time reaching out to other CDFIs across the country, Amalgamated Bank and NCB became the first non-CDFI banks to become a member of the Community Development Bankers Association. We were very uh, instrumental in the creation of the Southern Equity Fund, which provides secondary capital to low-income credit unions as well as community development credit unions. And so we really ran the gamut throughout that community development finance space, and all, but all of that was external facing. And so another part of my job, obviously, from a business development standpoint, was to bring in referrals or, or deals. And so what I came to find, Vernon, was... And while the bank has this uncommon mandate and, and does a great job of, of meeting or exceeding it every year, it was starting to become harder and harder for me to, to get these transactions done, you know, in a, in a regulated environment. And obviously the bank is a, is a regulated entity. And so I think in expressing this frustration one day to Chuck and, you know, Chuck said, well, we should create our own mission lending entity. And I was t tasked with that. And we, I think, at first looked at creating a community development corporation, but there was still a regulatory tie. And then we looked at the creation of a nonprofit loan fund. And I think in a meeting one day, reaching that level of frustration again, I just said to, to Chuck, well, why don't we just create a community development financial institution in what is now uh, Rochdale Capital was born. And so, you know, he was fiercely committed to the mission lending and the work that the bank did and, and wanted to find a way to do that in partnership with another organization. Again, at its, at its crux, and while Rochdale will work with other um, CDFIs and work with other financial institutions, our main strategic partner obviously will be the National Cooperative Bank. And so that's really how it came to be. And I spent most of 20 21, working with the NCB board and um, some folks internally at the bank on um, the creation. Sadly, Chuck was not able to see the Rochdale become incorporated and see the logo and some of the other things. Uh, but I think that he would be uh, very happy with the direction that we chose to go in, as well as uh, some of the early work that we've done from a relationship building standpoint, as well as building the infrastructure of the organization. I, I, I think it's very important that we live our brand and, and Chuck was against all things unjust. And so, you know, I take great pride that we have a, a very diverse board in regards to the way that it looks, you know, as regards to his background, in regards to who it represents, um, as well as, you know, we're taking a very active role, like I said before, in our future lending um, being to entrepreneurs or cooperators of color. And then last but not least, um, really trying to uh, from a vendor and contractor standpoint, also live that brand as well. And so I think he'd be really happy with the direction that we're going in. But um, uh, jokingly say that Rochdale came out of frustrations uh, from a, a regulatory standpoint, as well as uh, trying to figure out what structure we can make it. But I, I, I think that um, CDFIs have been so instrumental in the last two years, be it, be it COVID, be it the social and racial racial reckoning that this country has gone through. Um, CDFIs have been um, on the front lines of 
being the first financial responders to a lot of these under-resourced communities of entrepreneurs who were unable to go to financial institutions or mainstream banks to get the kind of um, help that they needed. So you keep talking about regulations, regulatory environment. What are some of the regulations or what are some of the things that causes a bank not to be able to, to help and support underserved communities and provide loans that you saw and cause that frustration? Well, many people know this and some folks do not. I mean, all banks have to uh, adhere to what's called the Community Reinvestment Act, which came out of the Carter administration that encouraged financial institutions to be located in under-resourced communities or communities of color to also loan and provide services. So we got to take our break. I'm sorry. I'll come back and we'll take up there if you would. I'd like to get the answer to that question. So we'll, we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Your news talk station. Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. We have Mr. John Hostclaw on the line with us this morning. who's talking to us about Rochdale Capital. And, John, I really like that you talked about how you chose this term that Frederick Douglass, the folks at, at Rochdale, they have the pr- values and principles of cooperation. I think it was 1844 and between 1845 and 1847, they helped Frederick Douglass get his freedom. And before we took break, we were talking about other underserved folks and what are the regulations that bankers find themselves up against that help you said you were frustrated because you couldn't do some of these loans. And I wanted you to explain that, and that's what you started before we took the break. Thank you, uh, Vernon. And what I was uh, stating before was that, you know, I think a lot of people are aware that uh, most banks have to adhere to the Community Reinvestment Act, or CRAs, it's called. Um, you know, so banks are located in a lot of communities of color, under-resourced communities. They, they have to loan a, a certain percentage and, and be active in regards to providing financial literacy and other things in under-resourced communities. But, you know, most financial institutions are regulated by the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, I'm sorry for the acronyms, uh, and the OCC, the Office of Comptroller of the Currency. And, you know, I always tell people banks have two jobs. Uh, They have uh, to mitigate risk and they have to get paid back. And so I think in that regard, a lot of times um, decisions are made for financial institutions about you know, the approval or triage of loans uh, based upon that level of risk. And yeah, I think you know, studies have shown and, and, and there's facts out there that show that a lot of times entrepreneurs of color and others are approved at a lower rate than, than, than some of the other entrepreneurs. And I think at NCB, again, especially with the mission lending component of our, of our, our mandate, a common mandate being a, a large part of the DNA of the organization, you know, they will, and we have done everything we could to mitigate the risk for any loans that have come in that fit to this uh, community development financial space. But again, we, you, you can't do every loan. And, uh, and for that reason, it, it doesn't mean that when you create a Rochdale capital that they get all the high risk loans. It just means that because it's not regulated, that it can be a little bit more innovative in the finance. Uh, and it may be able to go out and get some philanthropic dollars or, 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 or do some other things that a traditional financial institution cannot. And so our goal because of this is for, you know, number one, to leverage uh, the National Cooperative Bank in that regard, but also be an asset to them 
um, because there may be a, a transaction or a mission loan that they're unable to do, but that, that just misses the criteria by a very small amount. And so if that's the case, then in a perfect world, Rochdale Capital would be able to to do that loan uh, or take that loan from the National Cooperative Bank. I mean, in the end, both organizations uh, want to make a great impact in, in, in these communities that need it the most, be it community health, be it community solar, be it food security. We both want to have a great impact, be it um, limited equity cooperatives, be it uh, worker cooperatives. We both want to have an impact. I think the creation of Rochester Capital now allows both of us to do that throughout this partnership. So you just mentioned a lot of different co-ops. And I interviewed Chuck, and I tried to get to understand what you're talking about, this regulatory environment. But I have it that banks are only interested in three things. Uh, most banks uh, may not be NCB, but most banks are interested in, one, getting their money back, two, getting their money back, and three, getting their money back. If they're the fourth, it is having some interest off of that, getting when they get their money back. So. Uh, it, when you're looking at folks that so that most banks will look at people that have other assets that they can go get if this loan fails, if they're starting a new business and new businesses are risky by nature, right. then they'll look for uh, loan people money that have real estate or stocks or bonds or other things that they could go grab if this loan fails. And so in underserved communities, I mean, black communities are, the average net worth of a family uh, in black community is seventeen thousand dollars, where in a white community is one hundred seventy-one thousand. I think I've got those numbers right. That's right. It's ten to, it's ten ten to one. Ten to one. Right. So you, that, that white folks then therefore have a better chance of getting money from banks than black folk because they have more assets that they can go get. It's a less riskier loan. And I just I kept asking Chuck over and over again, and every almost, how do you guys make loans? In these underserved communities, I mean, do you do things, and this is the same kind of thing to both you and Rochdale Capital, would you look at somebody's personality, their their um, other variables that are not related to how much cash or assets that they have? How likely is this loan going to succeed because there's a group of people that have been studying for four years and they've got a great business plan and they have everything sort of worked out and they're really, really good people, but they have no assets. Right, right. And and also, this, you're true with the 10 to 1. I mean, listen, the, the racial wealth gap in this country, you know, where I'm from in the country, they say sometimes you whistle past the graveyard and try to avoid things, but it's real. And um, I think we all as uh, uh, Americans need to come to the harsh reality that it is. What, what you're referring to, Vernon, is what I call uh, the friends and family fund. So for example, if an entrepreneur of color starts a business, um, he or she may not be able to go to their uh, friends and their families and say, hey, I got this great idea for this business and get uh, X, Y, and Z dollars of startup money. Um, you know, if the, if the gap is already that wide, they're already starting with a less amount. Uh, it puts them in a disadvantage. And I think that's why you saw during uh, COVID where, you know, 41 to 44% of all uh, Black-owned businesses shelved or were, had to close down because of the impact of COVID because they didn't have those reserves and they didn't have um, that backup to go to. And, you know, I, I like to think in a perfect world, some of those are coming back, but they're not. And so 
what NCB and what Rochdale has done and Rochdale will do. I mean, like, for example, we just did a great close alone in Detroit called the Detroit Food Commons in the north end of Detroit. It's the first transit-oriented development created in Detroit, which means that it's built around their their train system or their subway or metro system, as we call it in D.C. And it's a Black-led, majority Black membership co-op that is not only going to provide food security for this neighborhood, but it's also going to provide community space for tutoring, community meetings, giving culinary folks who are aspiring to be chefs uh, opportunities to, to sit, create and sell their wares. That said, our part of that deal was very small. And we came in uh, more than likely on the debt side uh, where there's a combination of city money and foundation money. And see, that city money and that foundation money is what mitigates the risk for the bank and will mitigate the risk for organizations like Rochdale. The bank may not be able to do that deal on its own when folks come together collectively, like in so many of these cases and what, what I call, what, what, they're, what are called multi-stack deals. It's where it allows us to mitigate our risk, but to make the loan because we do uh, know that it's high mission. It's going to provide a great opportunity uh, in that community. And so that's really the way that the bank tries to go about doing it. I like to think at Rochdale Capital, that when opportunities like that come into play and we and we do hit a snag, we're going to roll our sleeves up and try to come up with the best financial solution that we can find, but also know that we can't do every loan. And uh, I, I, I've said this and I uh, kind of people laugh, but, you know, I'm a horrible banker, Vernon, but I do consider <laughs> okay. so, somebody in NCB might say, well, now you tell me, but I'm a horrible banker, but I do consider myself to be a pretty halfway decent community development finance uh, person. And so, you know, that's the, the way I want to lead this organization. That's the way we want to approach opportunities. And again, we want to make it very personalized. One of the things I think that community development loan funds and CDFIs have lost over the years is that a large part of what they do is based around development services. And I think sometimes many of them have become so interested in chasing the capital or chasing the dollars or the grant funds that some of the development services fall by the wayside. We want people in black and brown communities and under-resourced communities to know how to become a cooperative. We want people to understand how to write a business plan. We want people to understand a lot of things that others may be able to tap in from the Fins and Family Fund or their network that some folks in our community may not. And so development services and having that personal touch, um, uh, much like NCB has customers, is one of the things that we want to we want to lead with. So I'm glad you talked about the Detroit. That's Malik Yakini who yes. is, who heads that up. Yes. And uh, my history with Malik is that I went to visit my nieces and nephews in Detroit. And when the bank had purchased this equipment that we're using today to connect to the radio station, I interviewed Malik in his office for the show. It was a live show in his office with Malik. And really, I went to visit the farm that they had creating oh, vegetables. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I wanted to just sort of make me a salad right there, go, go pluck some stuff out and make a salad. And yeah. But this is what I'm talking about. You meet folks that this group of people that I met were just wonderful, hardworking, great people. And mm -hmm. in the process of getting a building and creating a food co-op, getting membership as they go along, increasing mm -hmm. the members, you have to have a movement along with a marketing plan and management 
are the three things that I was told. Ed Whitfield told me that's what you need to have a good food co-op with those three things. So they were creating the movement. They have the management, and then they were doing the marketing. That's what you need for success, and they also need money. But, 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 but Vernon, take it back even more than that. I mean, they took a park in Detroit that nobody visited, nobody used, and they turned it into this amazing community garden. And, and it, it was started with principle number seven, concern for community, in my mind, which led to everything else. And we're going to come back and talk about concern for community after our second break. And that's a great one. They took a park, and that park was beautiful. It looked even better with those vegetables. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. You know, we've been on this show now for eight and a half years, John, and National Co-op Bank has been our partner ever since. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities. Mm-hmm. by providing innovative financial and related services. And before we took the break, you were just talking about, well, the whole show is how the bank has helped us spin off or help you after you're being frustrated at some of the loans that they could not make, created Rochdale Capital, mm-hmm. and how the bank and you and the bank can go into organizations and provide innovative financial and related services so people of color or people in underserved, you call it under-resourced. Under, under-resourced. Under-resourced. I mean, I mean, we I look at this, Vernon, at the end of the day, if you're in a, a rural area of the country and there are no banks, you know, and while I'm not a big fan of the term, you're in a, a banking a desert. Or if you're in a place like the South Shore of Chicago and a, a, a deal we finance called Jeffrey Plaza that's a few blocks from the Obama Center and there hadn't been a grocery store there in eight years. You know, some folks call that a uh, food desert. I call it food security. So at the end of the day, if you can't get to a health center that's in your neighborhood, if you don't have insurance, you don't have access. And what gets you access are those resources. And so I like to use the term under-resourced because um, you say low and moderate or LMI or low income communities, there's always this automatic, be it unconscious bias or conscious bias uh, thought about it being a black community or a Latino community. And so I want to kind of change that narrative by talking about things being under resourced. And so that's the playground. That's the ballpark that we want to play in. And again, let me ver- verify one thing for you. Rochdale Capital is not an affiliate. And you didn't say this, but it's not an affiliate of the National Cooperative Bank. It is a separate and unaffiliated entity. We have two separate boards, two separate CEOs. We have two separate bylaws and the whole nine yards and and structures. But at its core, both of our missions are aligned uh, completely around the promotion of cooperative principles. The whole community ownership piece that I'm bringing into or or wrapping my arms around, you know, is in hope of engaging more people um, in the community to create their own ownership structures or, you know, be it community land trusts, be it cooperative enterprises, uh, be it uh, commercial use uh, for working with community land trusts and others, community solar, community health, 
uh, community facilities. Um, so stop me when I say community too much, but I just think it's important. I just think it's important for uh, people, you know, uh, I grew up in a part of my hometown called Statesville, North Carolina. And I never understood this <laughs> when I was a kid, but I do now. Uh, the, 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 the black community was cut up into two parts. One part was called Rankin Town. And one part was called Rabbit Town. I have no idea where they came from, but I grew up in Rankin Town. And one thing I can say about Rankin Town was that they were a tight knit community and we all came together for the betterment of uh, our own good. If you were out in the street doing something you weren't supposed to do and Mother Daniels or Miss Rose or somebody could pull you up and uh, it was it was not going to be a good night in the host club house if that ever happened. And so, you know, in a perfect world, Vernon, that's what I'm trying to get us back to. I don't want to fly into a city and say, hey, I'm John Holtzclaw. I know what's best for you. We're going to finance you doing this or that. I want to be able to talk to people to try to find the solution so that, you know, they take ownership of their own community and that we're able to provide them those development services or financial services that they'll need uh, to be successful. So. so you're talking about community, and I grew up in a small community in Bluefield, West Virginia. And if we were out in somebody's apple tree or pear tree and one of the neighbors caught us, uh, we were likely to get spanking there and they would, they would call my mama. Uh, but there was no telephone and that was literally a, a shout. Flory, this boy's out here. Okay. And you're going to get it when you get home too. Yeah. 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 That was the, it takes a village to raise a, fa- uh, a family. It takes a village yeah. to raise a child. Yeah. It, it takes a village to raise a, 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 a business. And this is what yeah. I like about this whole community and cooperative yeah. world. Uh, it does. It does. Yeah, for them to be successful. So we talked about Malik, and I think I'm a member there. I put up some money one time when he was on the show. I really like what they were doing. I loved it. Uh, same thing with the gentleman in Flint, Michigan. I don't know if you've talked to him. I've, I've, heard, about, I've heard about him. I, R.L. Conjure, uh, colleagues, uh, t- uh, told me about that one. Um, I, I haven't done enough research. I do know now that you can go online to – to Detroit Food uh, Commons, uh, if you search it, I think you can join uh, their co-op online now. So I want to do that, but at the same time, hopefully when the groundbreaking occurs, um, I love groundbreaking, Vernon. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a big on the, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not groundbreaking, grant opening. I'm not big on holding the shovel, but I am big on going through the door uh, for the first time, and I really want to pay for my membership there and get my membership number uh, in Detroit and, and do whatever I can to help support them. I'm not there often, but I want to make Detroit Food Commons my my food store, grocery store of choice. So um, I'm really happy that we were involved in that transaction. I'm really looking forward to the future. There's a great organization there called Develop Detroit. It's run by um, an amazing leader named Sonia Mays. And she's one of my favorite people in the community development world. And she is um, just doing so much good there, along with some other Detroit-based organizations, as well as Capital Impact Partners, which is my my last employer before coming to the bank. Okay, so Detroit. We talked about Detroit, but we you mentioned earlier DC, New York New York and the South. Detroit wasn't even in the picture. So let's move to DC. Are you working with anybody now to do any deals in the DC area? Uh not just yet. I mean, Vernon, I, mean, I, I know uh, one of our board members, uh, Paul Hazen, was very instrumental with the Limited Equity Co-op Commission that was working with the uh, councilwoman brands there to try to pr- provide some money for Limited Equity Co-ops. I have a great classmate from grad school, Parisa Naruzi, who 
runs uh, Empower DC. She lives in the Elijo Baker Cooperative up in uh, Alpha University in uh, DC. And so I've got a I've got a wealth of people to turn to. Once I have a little bit more time, I'd like to make the rounds and meet a lot of folks in the in the area to see what we can do. There are a lot of Black-led or Black-owned cooperatives uh, in the area. I remember one time I was on your show uh, many years ago and got a call from a cooperative there, a majority of Black, and they said they wish they would have known about us a couple of weeks before because they had just closed on a refi with Wells Fargo because they didn't know we existed. And in my mind, and obviously I'm a little biased, I feel in a lot of ways, especially in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area or as it relates uh, to... um, you know, uh, a wider audience, be it new media like podcasts and things that you all are doing, that this gets the word out about the National Cooperative Bank and now uh, Rochdale Capital. So, you know, I long for the day when we grow inside where it's a program sponsored not only by the National Cooperative Bank, but by Rochdale Capital alone with hopes that it opens up a broader coalition of CDFIs that have cooperative experience. So, my shameless plug there and, and, and a hope that I have for the future as it relates to everything co-op. And so, you know, that was an opportunity. John, I'm sorry. There's nothing shameless about you saying you want to support this program. There's nothing shameless <laughs> in that at all. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Well, call me shameless. I want to support everything co-op. I do. I do want Rochdale to be, uh, be uh, uh, some in some way, shape, form, or fashion, the number one or number two fan behind the National Cooperative Bank in the promotion of everything co-op. So, I was on the task force that Paul Hazen worked, the uh, D.C. task force, limited equity housing task force. Mm-hmm. And there are 99 limited equity co-ops in D.C. Wow. Um, and there's plenty of room, plenty of need for refinancing, for renovation. Some of these are 40, 50-year-old communities, uh, need new roofs, new HVACs, windows, da 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 So there's plenty of room for that. The district has a program. If if there are 20 units or less, that they can mm-hmm. apply for a $200,000 grant. Wow. And so if you take that $200,000 grant, uh, 20 units or less, and then if, let's say that they need a million dollars, whatever you're 20% down if they have no other debt. So there's right. all kinds of room when you have that kind of base. Now, that's if it's 20 units or less. But if uh, if it's bigger than that, then there's all kinds of ways, I think, of funding that and financing it, particularly with Rochdale Capital being in that mix of financing right. those 99 that are there. And we were talking about increasing, yeah, I think it was doubling the, the number of limited equity housing co-op units in the district. There was some number that we came up with. And Council Member Anita Bond said that co-ops, limited equity housing co-ops, are the answer to gentrification. She came up with that halfway through, and I just, she, just the light bulb came on, and she was enthused and energetic, and it's like, yay, you got it. And she's just really wonderful to work with. COVID hit, they, they had two laws in place. One was to make that task force permanent, and the other one was to put some money up, get some money in, on the coffers to help limited equity housing co-ops, and also to limited equity housing co-ops. And when they're started up, they have five years, no property taxes. Right. And we've concluded in our research that five years just doesn't do it. And we've yeah. asked them to do forever. Limited, as long as you're limited equity housing co-op, you meet the need, then there's no property taxes. And so they were going to take that up. And I think it will get back to that after COVID 
ceases a bit. Let me say two things on that. I mean, one, I mean, apologize to the councilwoman because I cut. I said brands earlier and it's bonds, uh, number one. Number two, thank you for the intel on the 99 units. Um, what I'm finding now uh, in a lot of my um, discussions, I had a conversation yesterday with Chicago Community Loan Fund. I had a conversation last week with the Massachusetts Association of Housing Cooperatives, and it's not necessarily the blanket loans you know, for the entire co-op that people are very interested in. And are these individual share loans I'm burning for each individual unit. So you've got 44 people in a unit, but only 10 people need share loans. I think what is happening is, is that there is desire for some of these units uh, to get these share loans. And I'm not talking about 10 million, 5 million. I'm talking about 5,000, 10,000. You know, for example, in Chicago, you've got older limited equity co-ops there and you've got the Obama Center coming in and folks don't want to lose their uh, cooperatives and they also don't want to lose their their homes. So they want to do some improvements. And so we've got to find a, a better way to produce that. And then last but not least, and I know we may be about to go to a break, is that I did my graduate work in Ivy City uh, in D.C., uh, very historic community. The Alexander Cremel School is there. Uh, I would tell anybody to Google to learn about the history of Ivy City. I've got to find this article. If anybody's on this call, please let me know. There was a, to not be gentrified out of their community, there were four homes of families that had been there for some times that actually created a co-op of these five uh, row homes in a row, I think, to stay in that community. And I've been breaking my neck trying to find that article because I think it's such a powerful story, but also a great example of what can be done so that you don't have to leave your community no matter how fast it may be changing. And I saw it one time on my computer screen, deleted it, lost it, but I've got to find the names and the of these uh, individuals who did this because I want, to, I want our website to have a story about them. And so the website's not up yet, but I do want people to know that there will be a lot of good stuff on there. And we're going to take our final break. The hour's almost up. I knew that uh, there's just so much we need to talk about. I want to go to what are you going to do in the South when we come back, different kinds of things that are going on in the South. We've talked about the district and Detroit. We could spend some time talking about New York, but I think if we get to the South, there's enough that we can do just there in this next section. Thank you so very much, John, for being on. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Power, that's WOL's motto. The reason we have this program and the reason the NCB helped us to get it started was to give you information about co-ops. You know, information is not where you get the power. You get the power when you get into action, when you use the information. It's the action that causes the power. So information is the start of power. Action is completing that power, getting the power. So we're going to talk now with John Hoseclaw about what actions they're taking in the South or where you see happening. And before we get started, I just want to tell the, the audience about the UN declared 2014 to 2024 decade of, for people of African descent. United Nations declared that decade. And there's a group of people in the South that have been working on a strategy for black folks, uh, mainly in the South, but I'm also looking at the whole U.S. And uh, I'm on a subcommittee of that committee, and that is we're looking at cooperative economics, well, mutual aid and cooperative uh, economics. 
So we're having a conference on the 29th and 30th of this month, but it's a working conference. It's only for people that have invited. And, John, as you know, we've invited you there so you can help us look at and create a a strategy, a plan for cooperative economics in the South. Yes. So what do you plan on doing? You said South is a part of Rochdale Princeton Capital. I'm going to have a T-shirt that has it phonetically. Now. <laughs> no worries. Okay. Right, right, listen, you know, I, I say to people sometimes, I say that uh, CDFIs are, are, are very important right now. Uh, HBCUs are very important. I'm a graduate of North Carolina A&T State University. And then last but not least, um, the Southeast is, is fast becoming a, a hotbed of activity as it relates to economic development and investment. And so, I have this 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 epiphany of buying a <laughs> buying a sweatshirt or t shirt that says, "I run a CDFI. I went to an HBC. I'm from the Southeast, and I think that people will just stop me on the street and want to hug me and um, either offer to buy the t shirt off of me or just realize it'll it'll help my street credibility." But um, all jokes aside, you know the Southeast now is you know I, I think when you look at the the uh, progression of things all across the country as related to investment. I think it really started in Detroit. Uh, I think it went from there down to, to to Memphis. And then I think now you're looking at places like Jackson, uh, which a lot of people don't know has a very strong mutualism and cooperative uh, movement there um, as the next place. You've got foundations like the Kellogg Foundation that have had an office there for 25 years. I mean, they saw this some time ago. And you're starting to see a lot of major philanthropic groups focus more on the Southeast Our Southeastern Equity Fund that the bank was able to do was all around helping low income and community development credit unions throughout the Southeast. When you talk about the Green County Credit Union in Epps, Alabama, or uh, you know the fact that um, it is, has a million dollars in assets is so incredible to me because it, it, with the size of that county in that area, to know that that much investment has been put into that credit union is a testament to the work that they're doing. And so I feel like and building upon your effort, you know, you have all of these um, black belt towns along the Mississippi. And, you know, this is where all the people in this country, black people in this country came from, from the great migration standpoint and went up the river and got off in Waterloo, Iowa, and got off in Chicago and got off in other areas. And so, you know, they still have strong infrastructure. They still have strong city councils and city and city mayors and and strong municipalities. And so, you know, I just feel like we've got to build upon that. But there also has to be us thinking outside of the traditional realm of what we've done in the past to help them. And so I know for us, uh, from a place-based strategy standpoint, we want to do more in the South. We want to help others, you know, and one of the things that I love to do, and, and I'm going to talk about a, a cooperator and good, uh, just like we are, Vernon, uh, you know, Canadian Planning, who runs the Federation of Southern Cooperative. We've been in some discussions for some time. They have a, a small loan fund that they created many, many years ago. And so I'm trying to work with them on trying to find some way to capitalize this loan fund, have them make some loans and build upon what I've learned through the creation of the Rochdale Capital to get them to apply for CDFI certification as well. You know, for many people who don't know, the CDFI fund and the U.S. Treasury um, certifies CDFIs, but when you get that certification, it's like getting the good housekeeping seal of approval, and it opens you up to a world of outside grant opportunities and outside uh, government grant opportunities. And so 
Um, that's one of the things that I've been working with him on for some time and want him to be extremely successful with, but also let him know he doesn't need to raise a million dollars for this reality to come to, to fruition. He just needs to have an initial initial capital raise that will allow him to make, it can be very small, um, four or five loans to, uh, to, to folks throughout his network. And you're talking about the Federation, his offices in Mississippi, Alabama, I think Louisiana, uh, and some other places across uh, Florida, you know, so um, it can be a great opportunity for them to be able to provide black farmers and members of the Federation with much needed uh, dollars um, to help them further the already great work that they're doing. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here. And I think a lot of people are seeing these dollar signs that are coming to CFI ways, the way the CFI is. And I'm not taking anything away from their initial effort, but I think that sometimes we chase those dollars. Uh, but don't necessarily know what we're getting into. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think we want to be very intentional about what we do. And so I applaud you for the UN effort. I'm going to be honored to be there on the 29th. I can't be there on the 30th because of the 5K, co-op 5K race. But I'm uh, honored to be there and uh, provide my own contribution to what um, what uh, you're doing. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for being there. I'm looking forward to a great time. But you mentioned a 5K race, and that's honoring Chuck Snyder. So... Can you give a plug in for CDF Cooperative Development Foundation? Cooperative Development Foundation. Yeah, I can. I can. And I am a, a brand new board member, and I think uh, when the board chair called me and asked me about um, taking um, the long, uh, the longtime chair that Chuck Snyder had had, it, it probably was one of the, the biggest honors um, outside of winning the Dryer Award, along with another fellow Dryer Award winner, you, Vernon. That- in my cooperative history. And so uh, what we've done is uh, we do it every year. And, you know, Chuck's favorite saying was, you know, do well to, to, to do good. And so the theme around the race this year is all around doing well to do good. And so we provided a hybrid model where people can, you know, run virtually or they can run on the 30th at Haynes Point from 8 to 11. Um, I will be there on that uh, Saturday. And so, you know, we just want to pay homage to the co-ops to the work that CDF is doing in the cooperative space, but we also want to center on the fact that we we can all do well to do good. And, uh, you know, Chuck never missed it. And um, he would have definitely been this year, but I think this year we're going to have uh, a great deal of his spirit there and, and, and great memories. And uh, I don't think Chuck would have it do it, do it any other way. He may not want to make it as much about him as we, we, we have in regards to what his favorite saying was, but I think it's going to be a great turnout. It's going to be a great opportunity for us to fundraise and celebrate the life of a, a great cooperator, but also provide uh, many cooperative enterprises uh, with some much needed uh, philanthropic and grant help uh, through the work of CDF. So I assume you were talking about Rich Low Rochelle when you said oh, yes. president yes. of CDF. Yeah. Hey. He, he called me, he left me a voice message, and I thought he called the wrong number, but uh, <laughs> okay. he said that uh, he, he called me and asked me would I take that seat, and uh, it, it just swelled my heart. My heart swelled up, but uh, I've, I've been um, working as hard as I can because uh, I had big shoes to fill, but I also wanted to be able to bring my own stamp and my own level of expertise to that board and uh, it's been it's definitely been a, a great experience thus far and uh, hello to all my fellow uh, cooperative development uh, foundation board members 
Brennan, as long as they don't make me uh, MC the dinner again, I think I'll remain a board member because uh, well, that they, was uh, If they need an <laughs> MC, I love the MC, so I'll, well, I'll do that for you. I'll do that. I will put the shot across the bow. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, um, but I also joined the Air Food Co-op in Fredericksburg and went down and had a great lunch. They, there's some, they have a great uh, food co-op down there and would like to see uh, – Anthony Cook over at Georgetown Law is creating a clinic, and his goal is to have five food co-ops in the district, and we could use them wow. in Ward 7 and Ward 8. Definitely can use with some deserts or a food desert, or I heard somebody call them food apartheids. So it's all kinds of terms to say people cannot cannot get nutritional foods at a decent price. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, buddy, we don't have a whole lot more time here, but <laughs> back to the South, and, and we have – looking at for the UN decade is three things that are basically needed to start co-ops and that's training the fifth principle of co-ops yes, technical support uh, that's that's part of training also and also money yeah and that's what you're bringing is that part of the money and also you you know how important training is and technical support yes. we only have another minute to go so tell people either around that three things or what what do you want to leave people with today out of the show? You know, I, I, what I want to do is I, I want to I want to leave people with this. You know, it, it's going to be CDFI related, but I also want it to, to be co-op related. I mean, listen, obviously cooperatives became a, an idea, then they became a movement. And now in a lot of ways, cooperatives are uh, uh, an industry. And, and I think just like the CDFI world, I really want to see, and I think you're seeing this with a lot of the millennials and, and, and Zoomers, I want to see cooperatives go back to that movement phase. And um, I hope we get there, and I want to be a part of that. Let's move, bro. Thank you very much, everybody out there. Let's get movement to, to help your communities. We'll be back next Thursday. Please.